Good morning. Uh, my name is Paul. I'm part of the staff here at City Light, uh, and it's an honor to be able to share from God's Word this morning while Matt is down preaching at our other congregation in Center City. Um, I have to say, Tim, Tim messaged me a, a couple months ago and said, hey, you want to preach? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I just graduated seminary. I would love to preach. Um, and then he said, okay, we'll be in the middle of the book of Haggai. <laughs> and immediately, uh, like, like, any, like any good Patriots fan, my heart was deflated. Um, <laughs> um, so anyway, like many of you, I'm guessing, I, I've, I've been so pleasantly surprised by the richness of God's word in the book of Haggai, and it's, it's an honor to be able to have this chance and, uh, and share from God's word with you. Uh, before we get rolling, I, I know I know a lot of you, but not, not all of you. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. I'm from Massachusetts, born and raised uh, and, and spent all of my life in northeastern U.S. Uh, four years ago, my wife Chanel and I moved down here for a seminary. Uh, and two years ago, uh, at the same time we started attending City Light, two years ago I joined part-time staff. May, I graduated seminary. And th- this July, just the beginning of this month, I, I was able to start full-time here at City Light. Uh, so it's, it's so exciting to, to be here to share with you um, and to dig into God's Word. And so before we get... Too far ahead, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to, to bless our time. Father, thank you so much that you have given us your word. God, that you have breathed out your word that it might be profitable for us who listen. God, that, that you speak to us words that call us to obedience but empower us to follow them. God, we pray that you might enlighten the eyes of our hearts as we look at your word this morning. Lord, that you might... Uh, Convict us of sin, that you might comfort our hearts, that you might uh, empower us to live lives that seek your kingdom first. We lift this up in Christ's name. Amen. So this is the the third week in the book of Haggai, uh, which is all about first things first. It's all about keeping the main thing the main thing. And and so for Haggai, the main thing is rebuilding the house of the Lord. That's what we've seen since the beginning. And throughout the Bible... We see the temple, the Lord's house, is where God's presence dwells with God's people. And so Haggai wrote at a time when the temple laid in ruins. The the people have returned from exile in Babylon. They've come back, and and it's been about 20 years. They've been focused on building their own lives at the neglect of God's temple, at the neglect of building God's house. And, And because of what the temple is, where God's presence dwells with God's people, that's very important. Uh, they're neglecting the Lord at, at, the, at the cost of uh, building up their own lives. They're, they're for, forgetting to seek first the kingdom. And, and so we've been challenged over the past couple weeks by Haggai to consider our ways, to consider the ways that we are neglecting building the Lord's house, the Lord's kingdom, at the expense, at the, at the expense of focusing on building, on, build, excuse me, building our own lives. Uh, and the, the challenge from Haggai is that now is the time to put God first. Now is the time to focus on the Lord. And so a couple weeks ago, that, that challenge hit me pretty hard, uh, like, like it did many of you, I'm sure. Uh, for the past four years, I've been in seminary saying, I'll get to it. <laughs> uh, of all places, right, where I'm being trained for the ministry, I'm, I'm saying to the Lord, like, I'll, I'll get to it later. Let, let me focus on this now. And so that, that challenge to, to put the Lord first really hit me hard. 
because I graduated a couple months ago and really nothing's changed. Um, now is the time to put God first. And it was a wake-up call because delayed obedience quickly becomes disobedience. My motivation was short-lived when I started to, when I recognized this and, and started to, to really seek out the Lord and really try to, to grow in areas I'd been neglecting uh, and, and seek his kingdom in ways that I'd been putting off. That, that motivation slowly kind of faded away. Um, I got back into old habits and temptations. And, and, and eventually I started asking myself, why even bother with this? Like, I'm doing okay. It's, it's not that big of a deal. Um, why even bother trying to grow in these areas? I'm never going to change. Um, and I'm guessing maybe you can relate. Maybe wherever you are in life right now, you've been uh, focused on what's here and now in your life and putting off uh, serving the Lord fully, seeking his kingdom. Maybe you're tempted to compare your walk with the walk of others. Uh, you look at people who are serving the Lord with a full heart and thinking like, I can never be that way. Uh, Maybe you fall short of where you think you should be. You have these goals that you set for yourself, and you're continually falling short. Or, or maybe you just feel like there are levels of spiritual maturity that, that you'll just never attain. And, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to tell you that the Lord knows our hearts better than we do. Um, the, the Lord knows our hearts well, and that's exactly where we're going uh, here in Haggai chapter 2 this morning. Again, it's page uh, 791 in the Bible under your seats. Uh, let's, let's just read it again a little bit here. In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? And so in the beginning of Haggai 1, they're, they're challenged to consider, consider their ways, that they've been neglecting the temple. And then last week we saw they repented and obeyed. The Lord stirred them up to obey the Lord, and they began working on God's temple. But now, just a few weeks into building, the people have become discouraged by comparing themselves to, to God's people in the past and God's works in the past. They're, they're thinking of the, glory, the former glory of Solomon's temple and, and the former glory that the people of God then were able to experience. And they're looking at this and saying, this, really? Is this all we've got? Solomon's temple had been destroyed for 66 years, or 66 years prior. And so I imagine there may have been people there who remembered it. Maybe they had this idealized image. But Solomon's temple was, was nothing to joke about. It was, it was serious. It was, it was the, and it was the place where God dwelt among his people. And so in the words of Alec Motier, uh, the past seemed incomparably better than the present, and the present seemed much less than worthwhile. That's what the, the people of God in Haggai's day were feeling. But there's hope. And so our big idea this morning is that the Lord empowers the, the discouraged builder. The Lord empowers the discouraged builder by his current presence and his future promise. And some of you are rejoicing that there are only two points in the sermon. Um, so first, the, the Lord empowers the discouraged builder by his current presence. Look at, me with, look, look at uh, verses 4 and 5 with me. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, 
O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. And so the Lord encouraged the empowers the discouraged builder first by his current presence. And so you, you might be asking yourself, if you paid attention last week, why is the point, one of the points this week that, that the Lord is present with his people when that was a point last week as well? Uh, keen observation, those of you who were paying attention, uh, all two of you. Um, <laughs> so th- this is a, a series of prophecies by Haggai, the prophet, uh, to God's people, and they, occur, they occurred over a course of about a, a four-month period. There are about six prophecies, and he's kind of working his way through. So last week's sermon was one prophecy. This week's is the next consecutive, it's a sequence, the next consecutive uh, prophecy. So in a sense, I'm just following Haggai's lead. Uh, but, but there is a distinction. There's a new wrinkle in place here since the last prophecy, which had occurred like three or four weeks earlier, and this prophecy uh, that we're looking at this week. The people have become discouraged. They have a different attitude and heart about what's going on among them now than they did three or four weeks prior. And in Haggai 2, 1 to 9, here this morning, God promises to be present with them in the face of that discouragement. Previously, God promised to be present with them as they began to undertake the work. Now God is promising to be with them as they're discouraged and ready to give up. Now that they've undertaken the work, it's been a few weeks, uh, things don't seem to be turning out the way they had hoped, and, uh, and they're discouraged. And God is basically saying, I'm still here. I was there then, and I'm still here now. And so in, in, despite this, in Israel's discouragement, the, the command that we see in this passage in verse 4 is, is really to keep building. Four, uh, three times we see in verse 4, the Lord says, be strong. And then followed by the command to work. Be strong, be strong, and work. Uh, Basically saying, try harder. How many of you have been discouraged before, and you hear someone say, try harder, (laughs) and it makes you feel a whole lot better? Uh, I'm I'm guessing probably not. Um, And so that's why the Lord doesn't end there. He says, be strong, be strong, be strong, and work, for I am with you. It's this little word, for, that has a big meaning. You see that a lot in the Bible. Little words like for and since and because. These little words that we use every day have such a huge meaning because they, they ground the command of God and the promise of God. All those little words are so important because the command to be strong and work, the, the command to keep building God's house is grounded in this promise that God is with them, that he is faithful to the covenant that he's made with us and that his spirit is dwelling amongst his people. And so that's what's really different, again, with with God's presence here, is that it's not just God saying, I am with you. It's God saying, I am with you, and my spirit will be in your midst. The Lord never commands us to be strong without giving us the the power to be strong. He never commands us to be strong in our own strength. And so just as the Lord has been with his people in the past, so he is in the present, because he's covenanted himself to his people. For God's people back then, the Spirit was in their midst. The Spirit was among them. 
But for us, living this side of Christ's coming, the Spirit is not just with us, but within us. The Spirit's not just with us, but within us. In John 14, Jesus begins to talk about the Holy Spirit that would come after, after he dies and rises again. And in 14, uh, 15 to 17, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, starting the same way Haggai, we see in Haggai, be strong and work. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That feels like a heavy burden until we read the next verse. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a helper. Uh, not only a helping presence in us to empower us, but uh, uh, that word helper kind of has this, this varied meaning where, where the Holy Spirit is also a comforter and an advocate for us when we fail to obey. So he's, our, he's the, the power that we have to obey, but also a comfort and an advocate within us to comfort us when we fail to obey. And so the same spirit that was in the midst of God's people then is within us today. In the same vein, uh, Zechariah, who's a contemporary of Haggai, another prophet in the Old Testament, uh, says to, to essentially the same people, not by, not, not by might, nor by power, but my, by my spirit, says the Lord. It, it's by the power of the spirit within us that we're able to follow the Lord with our whole heart, that we're able to, to seek first the kingdom of God. Alec Motier captures this perfectly when he writes, the Lord's rejoinder to his people's despondency is to turn their minds from what they think to be true of themselves. We cannot match the past, we cannot achieve in the present, to what is true about him. They say we, the Lord says I, my spirit. The key to tackling despondency is found here. Stop listening to ourselves and start listening to him and his word of promise. Faith believes that the Lord's assessment of the situation is truer than the human assessment. Humans see an unattainable past and a hopeless present. The Lord sees his own presence, his covenanted word of blessing, his spirit. Faith affirms God's view. I don't know about you, uh, but, but I find I'm, I'm the most discouraged when I look at myself. Uh, when I look to myself, when I, when I believe in myself, uh, that's when I get discouraged. Because, I mean, what am I? <laughs> you know, what, what am I? What, what do I have to offer the Lord that he hasn't given me? Uh, and so when we're in that place, the, the first thing we need to do is stop looking in the mirror and start looking to the Lord. To, the, to some extent, uh, just like the, um, the Israelites were right in their assessment of themselves, we might be right in our assessment of ourselves as well. The Israelites, uh, the, the temple that they were rebuilding uh, would not match the glory of the former temple, of Solomon's temple. They were right. They knew this. They saw it. Uh, in uh, verse 3, is it not as nothing in your eyes? They knew that the glory of the temple that they were building now would not match the glory of the former temple. Their problem wasn't that they didn't believe in themselves. The problem was they didn't believe in the Lord. And so, like them, we all have our weaknesses, um, you may not be as gifted as the person you compare yourself to, or you may be gifted differently um, in, in ways that you, you wish you weren't. Where the Lord has you, has you now may not be where you imagined you would be at this point in your life. 
you may not have made the progress in your faith that you had hoped to make at this point. But if you're trusting in Christ for salvation, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Not only to empower your obedience, but to comfort you in the midst of discouragement. And so the command to keep working stands, it remains, but it's not you who work alone. It's not you who work alone to, to build the temple, to build God's kingdom, to, to pursue the Lord. And so the, the challenge here is to depend on the spirit that is at work within you to accomplish the things the Lord has set before you. I think a few of the things that I've been learning is to prioritize praying about the things that the Lord has put in front of me. I think my, my temptation is to, to, to work really hard at the things that the Lord has put before me, and then my motivation wanes, and it doesn't go anywhere, and I get discouraged. Um, but I'm depending on my own strength, not the Lord's. And, and so start each day asking the Lord, by His Spirit, to empower you to live the life that He's called you to live, to, to prioritize the things that, that matter in, in the Lord's kingdom, and remind yourself of this throughout the day. For, for whatever... Uh, However goofy those WWJD bracelets from forever ago were, uh, simple reminders like that can, can make a difference when we're seeing them rightly, not, not uh, trying to, to serve the Lord because of some like bracelet on our wrist, but a reminder that the Lord is with us and, and empowering us for, for following him. It's not by your own power, of, power and might that you're going to accomplish what the Lord sets before you, but by the spirit of the living God who dwells within you. I mentioned earlier uh, that a couple weeks ago the sermon hit me pretty hard, and, and what stood out more to me than anything else wasn't actually from Haggai. It was when Matt mentioned uh, John 2.17, where speaking of Jesus, uh, zeal for the Lord's house will consume him. Um, that hit me pretty hard. And my guess is that if you know me, you probably wouldn't describe me as lazy. Uh, usually... Uh, especially if you know me from Sundays, I'm the one running back and forth all the time. Um, and, and so you probably wouldn't, just, wouldn't think of me and think, oh, that guy's lazy. Uh, and the reason you wouldn't think that way is because I know you're watching. Or at least in my mind, I know you're watching, or I think you're watching. Um, I, I've got these two deeply ingrained sins that, that really complement one another really well. Uh, on one hand, I'm a, I'm a people pleaser. I live for, for the praise and, and good thoughts of others. Uh, that's, that's my strongest motivation, is knowing that people think well of me. Uh, and, and that's why on, on Sundays when you see me, I, I look more like Martha than Mary. Um, but when nobody's looking, it's a different story. When nobody's looking, laziness and procrastination dominate. Uh, motivation is hard to come by when I know that nobody's watching. Um, and so this reference to, to zeal for the Lord's house really hit me hard because that's exactly what I feel like I'm lacking. Uh, I'm lacking that, that passion, that zeal for, for the Lord and his kingdom. Um, and, and so that's something that the Lord's been getting at in my heart for a little while now. Uh, and my plan to overcome this sin, to prioritize the Lord's house, to prioritize the kingdom, uh, was great at first. Uh, and then it started kind of fading away. I made little progress in the things that I committed to change. And I came to this text this morning, as I was preparing for this morning, I came to this text uh, pretty discouraged in my walk with the Lord, uh, knowing that 
I want to, I want to prioritize the Lord in his house, and I'm just finding it so hard to stay motivated. And the, the, the text that came to mind as I was thinking about all this was from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds this house, those who build it labor in vain. Psalm 127.1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, those who build it labor in vain. I want to encourage you to to seek the strength of the Spirit to empower your obedience. Seek the strength of the power of the Spirit to to empower your obedience. And, And the Lord not only empowers the discouraged builder by his current presence, but also by his future promise. Starting at verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heaven and the earth, heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land. I will shake the na- all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord. So not only does God empower the discouraged builder by his current presence, but also by his future promise. There's a shift at verse 6, if you noticed, from present tense to future tense. We see four consecutive times the Lord says, I will, I will, I will, I will. When I tell my wife Chanel that I'll do the dishes, I will do the dishes, it's, it's like a 50-50 shot. <laughs> if I were to tell you, as I say this, there's a pile of dishes in the sink. <laughs> um, if I were to tell you the Patriots will win the Super Bowl again this year, the chances are better, uh, but still not guaranteed. <laughs> I love the groans. Um, when the Lord says he will do something, it's a guarantee and you can take it to the bank. When the Lord says he will do something, you can count on it. Uh, and so when God's people are seeing the current works of their hands and comparing it to the former glory of Solomon's temple and the, the people of God in that day, uh, God promises not only to be with them, but to bring the work to completion. He promises not only to bring the work to completion, but to bring it to completion in a way that they can't even begin to imagine the glory of, where the latter glory will eclipse and and so far surpass the former glory. The future outcome of God's people is secure. And so what will God do? God will shake the heavens and earth and sea and dry land and all nations. Uh, that's kind of uh, not necessarily literal. Uh, it's, it's talking about God doing something big, that God will do something big. There is a sense, we'll see in a minute, where it is literal. Uh, but, but it's really just a, a way of saying you see it all over the Psalms, that, that the people tremble and shake, that God will, will, cause, uh, will, will shake the nations. It's language that says that God is going to do something big, that God's real presence will bring about a real result. Namely, the result being that God will fill his house with glory, greater glory than the former glory of Solomon's temple. A large part of of the Israelites' discouragement is that they're looking at what they're doing and they're thinking, like, is this all all we're going to get? Like, 
Some of us remember the glory of the former temple that was destroyed. Some of us uh, came back excited for the Lord to work, and the Lord stirred us up, and we started working, and this is really all it's going to be. In their minds, that was glory, and this is nothing. But God promises that not only will he fill this house with glory, but the latter glory will uh, be greater than the former. When, when it talks about the glory of the Lord filling the temple, it's not necessarily talking about like the architecture or like the adornment in gold, like all these kind of surface-level things. In, in Exodus 40 and 1 Kings 8, we see in Exodus 40, uh, they build the tabernacle to the Lord. Uh, in 1 Kings 8, we see Solomon's temple completed. In both cases, the glory cloud of the Lord comes down on the tabernacle, on the, the temple, the dwelling place of God. The glory of the Lord comes down in a cloud, and people can't even go near it. That's what, that, that's what the people are expecting. They're expecting the Lord to show up in a big way that just knocks them back. And they're not seeing it. They're not seeing that coming in the temple they're working on now. And, and so Haggai here is saying, not only will the, the Lord return in his glory to his temple, but it will surpass anything that you've seen before. And so that leads us forward a bit. Uh, this passage isn't necessarily speaking just about the temple they're building now. It's speaking about Jesus. This, this passage is looking ahead to Jesus, who, who came as the radiance of God's glory to dwell among his people. With that word dwell really being the same word we see for temple, tabernacle. That, that, that Jesus came to dwell among his people as the radiance of God's glory, present with them in the flesh. And in his death and resurrection, we see this coming to, to true fulfillment, right? Where at Jesus' death, the curtain that separated the most holy place, where a priest was only, the high priest was only allowed to go once a year, the, the curtain that separated that most holy place from the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, just as the Lord said, I will shake the heavens and earth. Jesus was the fulfillment of the glory falling, to, coming down among God's people. In Hebrews 9, it explains that at his death, Christ entered into the heavenly temple, not the, not the temple made by hands like its earthly copy, like Solomon's temple, but the heavenly temple to atone for the sins of his people once and for all, thereby rendering the earthly temple useless. And so in this true temple, which is Christ, God will give peace. We see this ultimately fulfilled in, in Revelation 21. Um, when Christ returns to establish the new heaven and new earth, when he will return, we read, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And then later in the same chapter we read, And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. In the, in the, in the face of their discouragement, Haggai 
uh, Haggai encourages God's people with a future promise that is guaranteed. And so we, we live in a day right now, this side, of the, this side of the cross, where this future promise has already begun to be fulfilled. The latter glory has come in Christ and brought peace in the form of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In Christ you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Inheritance, First Peter tells us, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. There, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so we see a similar twofold encouragement pairing the current presence of the Spirit and the future promise of glory in one passage, Romans 8, 15 to 18. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but, to, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. This light momentary affliction we read in 2 Corinthians is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. The future promise destroys present discouragement. The future promise that we have in Christ, that our, our, our eternal destiny is secure, that Christ is the temple, the Spirit has come to dwell within us, the future promise destroys present discouragement. It's not even worth comparing. Christ has promised to complete the temple by dwelling with us in perfect peace forever. And it's because of the future hope that we can press on toward that goal. We are free to follow Christ unhindered by discouragement. In the, face of, uh, in the face of discouragement, the temptation for us is to say, I can't, so I won't. That's kind of where I was coming into this, this passage this week. Uh, I can't, so I won't. However, the Lord reassures us, you can't, but I am and I will. I am with you by my spirit dwelling within you, and I will accomplish what I've set out to accomplish. It's a guarantee from the Lord. And so our current pursuit of Christ is empowered not only by the current presence of the Spirit within us, but by the future promise that the Lord will, that, that the sufferings we are currently experiencing don't even compare to the glory that will be revealed in us. So keep building, but not in your own strength. Keep building, not in your own strength, because the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. And keep building, because the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Keep building, uh, not on your own strength, but trusting in the Lord to, to carry out what he said he would. And our ultimate hope rests in the fact that Jesus wins. We know, we know that Jesus wins. If you read Revelation and get confused... Welcome to the club. But the point of Revelation is that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. The new heavens and new earth will come. Uh, there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sickness, no more death. 
The Lord will come and dwell with his people. The temple of the Lord and Jesus Christ will come and dwell with his people. And the glory will blow us away. So this morning, uh, I want to invite you to a couple things here. We've got communion tables in the front and the back. Uh, each Sunday, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Um, the bread represents the body of Christ that was broken for us. And the, the wine or the juice represent the blood of the new covenant, which was spilled for us. And we do this in remembrance of him who came, dwelt among us, died the death that we deserve, but rose to victory, seated at the right hand of God, awaiting the, the ultimate fulfillment of bringing his glory to us. And in remembering him week by week, we proclaim his death until he returns. This is our celebration, knowing, trusting that God will bring about the future that he's promised. And so I invite you, if you're trusting in Christ for salvation, if that hope is your hope, join us in celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't yet know Christ, if you don't share in that hope of the current presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you and the promise of God to bring about his glorious presence among us, I want to invite you to make that decision this morning. Simply say, Lord, I'm not worthy of you, but I know that Christ is worthy, and I want to surrender my life to you. If you do that, there's a couple people going to be standing in the back under the prayer signs. They would love to pray with you and just kind of help you get started in your walk with Christ. Uh, and they're there for anybody. If you, if you want to pray with someone this morning, if, if the Lord is working in your heart uh, or if there's something heavy on you this morning, go and pray with, with a couple people. They would love to pray with you. So in just a second, the band's going to come up and we're going to turn our hearts to praise the God who is currently present within us by the Spirit and has promised a future hope that is guaranteed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are faithful to your word. God, thank you that you know our hearts better than we do.